Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And today we have Dr. T on. She is a podiatrist and I am, and she's a in Southern California, I'm going to let her explain a little bit about uh, what a podiatrist does and is, because a lot of us might not know. So um, without further ado, Dr. T, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Sean. I wish I was in Southern California. I went to undergrad in UC San Diego. I'm actually in Central California in Santa Cruz County, just a little south of the Bay Area, which is where I grew up from. Awesome. Well, thank you for clearing that up. Um, I am... It's difficult for me to understand where the dividing line is for central and southern. <laughs> I got to think you're really close to that dividing line because south of San Francisco yeah. kind of starts southern. Is that correct? Central. Well, it's central coast. Yeah, but we're still considered northern California. So we're not quite the dividing line yet. <laughs> so are you, is Santa Cruz above San Francisco? San Francisco is north of us. And then there's San Jose, the Bay Area, you know, the tech industry. And then south of that, just a little south of Santa Cruz. Further south is Monterey. Further south is Santa Barbara. Then we hit down to L.A. and O.C. I see. Well, thank you for the geography lesson. I'll try to remember <laughs> that. <laughs> it's I didn't all realize. All beachy. Yeah, I didn't realize that far up was actually northern, considered northern California, you're saying, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, Dr. T, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about how you became a podiatrist and what a podiatrist is. Let's just start with that. What is a podiatrist? Well, a podiatrist treats all foot and ankle problems. So anything ranging from ankle arthritis to toenail deformity, all within that range. In California, we can also do soft tissue um, of below the knee. So if uh, ulceration is caused by, let's say, venous stasis insufficiency and it's a soft tissue issue, we can do skin grafts to repair or advanced therapies. And from what I understand, um, from what I've talked to some podiatrists, um, the foot is a very, very complicated part of the body. Um, how many bones are in the feet? Well, podiatry, the reason I went to podiatry because I thought it was... Um, Specialized, it was immediate special, specialization. So four years of podiatry school, three years of surgical residency. And I thought that in my mind, well, if it's a smaller portion of the body, it's probably easier to learn. And the further I dove into it, you know, you realize there's what, 26 bones in the foot, in the feet. And it's not as simple as it's portrayed to be. So it's very complex because you're not only relying on its anatomical form, we have to rely on the biomechanics of the entire body distributing the weight to two feet. So it's very complicated, turns out. And I did end up going to another year of fellowship devoted in limb salvage, amputation prevention, especially those who have diabetes and have circulation compromise or healing potential uh, is diminished. And then after that, I still felt like I didn't know enough in podiatry. So then I further super specialized in minimally invasive surgery where I can perform hammer toe corrections, toe deformity corrections with a tiny, tiny incision. So it's pretty difficult, I think. And I'm about 10 years out of when I just started residency. And 
2011, it's 2021 now, and I'm still trying to figure stuff out about the biomechanics of the feet. I would imagine, um, you know, if you think about it, I mean, without our feet, our, so many problems can come from our feet, right? I mean, um, back, back pain, all kinds of issues, because our feet hold our weight all day long, correct? It's the least appreciated body part because I think for one thing, it's the furthest away from our eyes. If we don't see it like your face or your hands, it's not really valued until something goes wrong. So if you're working eight, 10, 14 hour shifts and your feet start to hurt, then you start to really appreciate the value of good comfortable shoes, good health uh, care and attention to your feet. It's really only when you have diseases when you start appreciating good health. So tell me a little bit about, your practice is a little bit different. Um, you've been in practice about 10 years, you say now. Um, just recently, I believe, you can tell us the history, you opened your own practice and you decided to get out of the insurance model, correct? Yeah, so my entire training was based in academics. So I thought I was going to go into academics, do research, uh, do some contribution in that arena. And then reality came in and said, that's not the 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 venue for you. So I went into private practice and the majority of the private practices I was experiencing um, was insurance-based. So I didn't think there was another way for podiatry to practice. So um, I started my practice in 2018 solo after trying a couple of different um, scenarios and trying to get credentials with the insurance panel should have been the first key sign to say that this really isn't the right way to do medicine. Getting credentialed in itself can take months um, if you do it correctly, and it can drag on for years if it's done incorrectly. So there's a lot of regulations within just credentialing to really understand. It's, I think most of my contracts were 40 pages plus, um, and trying to just understand that from a lay person's point of view, I have no health legal back, background in um, health law. So, so to try to break down what all of those, you know, legal jargon means is very complicated. And I think a lot of us are just kind of guilty of just signing where the dotted line is and assuming it's gonna be right for the physician and for the patient because we wanna assume it's the right thing for the patient, which is why we signed on in the first place. But it's not until you get knee deep and you realize, you know, there's delays in access to care. There are regulations you need to follow. There are new billing compliance that you have to understand in order to get paid. And you don't necessarily get paid on the day of service. That could look like 90 days from now. That can look like 100 days from now. But my bills are on our monthly cycle. I have to pay those bills. I have to pay my overhead. And that system just wasn't working out for me. So it was uh, 2020 that I started to look deeper into another way to practice medicine. And so tell me how your uh, practice works. Are you fee-for-service? Are you a monthly membership model? I know we work with a lot of, we've interviewed a lot of direct primary care um, doctors and you know they have the monthly membership model. I'm going to assume you maybe have a mixture of both or fee-for-service. Go ahead and educate us on that. Yeah, so I don't have a template to follow. I know of maybe two podiatrists who are strictly cash-based. I reached out to them to see how they were doing things, and they were doing things uh, a little different from me. I wanted to focus more on surgical intervention. 
So I didn't really know what template to follow. And I wanted to also um, use my fellowship training in preventing amputations, so doing diabetic foot care as well. So I do have two models set up where diabetic foot care, wound healing is more of a long-term chronic condition to treat and do preventive medicine on. And so that is a membership model where they can pay just some flat monthly fee for basically unlimited access to me um, it, as a way to prevent them from waiting for their next appointment or ending up in the ER or urgent care center for something that could have been prevented easily in the office or just with a phone call. The other service, the, the rest of the services I provide are fee for service. So if they want just a procedure done, that's just the self-pay and then the problem is solved and they're done. So two, two models exist in the practice. Awesome. So what you're telling me about the insurance mess that you tried to contract with is that the insurance companies don't really make sure that the patient gets any better care or better quality of care. Um, in fact, it, you know, you could argue that you said care was delayed. So when insurance is involved, um, you're saying that care isn't as good. Is that correct? I want to be really cautious how I talk about insurance companies because I know health insurance is valuable. I delivered my daughter at a hospital. Those fees are very expensive. So there is a place for health insurance. I don't think it needs to be in more of the private clinic um, services where it's we're focused on preventive care. So with that in mind, the insurances that I was dealing with, number one, they weren't paying my fees. It was always a percentage. So already they diminished my value in the care that I provide. Number two, the HMO or health maintenance providers, they require a, a certain pathway to get healthcare. So if a patient wanted to see a specialist, they had to go through their primary doctor. Their primary doctor has to agree that a specialist is even needed, and then they're able to make that referral. That process I've seen can be as little as two weeks before they get access to a specialist out to three months. So if we're relying on you know the middle person to give access to the patient, that's a delay in care in itself. Other things that are very common, just getting an MRI for uh, diagnosing pathology, that requires prior authorization, that requires knowing what CPT, CPT code to use, that requires knowing what facility you know works for the patient at that time. And if they move or they have a change in their primary doctor, we have to restart that process all over again just to get a diagnosis. Wow. And now, so when they access you, um, you can probably get them in the same day, correct? If, if insurance isn't involved. I do. I do. The, yeah, I do the best I can to accommodate patients immediately. So they can call my office right away. Let's say they have an ingrown toenail that's grossly infected. They can come in immediately and I fit them in during my breaks or in between patients. And once in a while we have patients that cancel, so a slot opens up for them. So I always encourage patients to call right away and we'll fit them in right away. And you are probably of the belief that this actually offers, that is very affordable and many times your service is less expensive than if they went through insurance. Is that correct? Correct. Sometimes they are they don't know their insurance plan that they picked. So they don't know what deductible they need to meet. They don't know what their copay is for a specialist, which is often different from a primary doctor. Um, and they don't know what the things that I may recommend is going to cost them until they go through their insurance, until they 
go through their pharmacy and they run their benefits. So all of that can be frustrating and it's a barrier to getting access where at the end of the day, the patient may just decide to do self-care buy some over-the-counter product that they may have Googled or looked on YouTube for, and they're missing that access to expert care that can save them a lot of money and trouble in between. Well, I know one thing I think we talk about in healthcare quite often is, and I'd like to hear your opinion, is you know lack of transparency. Uh, many times when you go in, if you have insurance, you go into a hospital or you go into a doctor's office, you have no idea what it's going to cost. So, um, you know, lack of transparency. And many times, months later, you get a bill that's completely out of left field, and it was kind of a surprise. So what you're doing is completely opposite of that. No surprises and and transparency up front. Can you explain that? Yeah, it's it's been a personal experience of mine where I go in to see a doctor, not knowing exactly what the fee what the fees are going to range. Is it going to be $50? Is it going to be $5,000? I have no clue, but the care is needed. So I go in and six months later, I get a bill. Actually, I got a bill nine to nine months later after taking my daughter to a pediatrician. And then I look at the price tag and I'm sticker shocked. I had no ability to choose. So I couldn't even say, well, let me doctor shop around and see if it's within my budget. There was no freedom for that. I felt so constricted with the insurance plan that I had, and that was the only option that was provided. I felt hijacked. And at the end of the day, it's the insurances don't have a face. It's the doctor that we interact with, that get, that we take our frustrations out. So I can see that as a patient, and I understand that as a doctor as well. So I think price transparency is the best way to go because patients can be financially prepared and determine if they want that service or not, instead of feeling hijacked that, well, I guess you're the only choice that my insurance provided and they didn't meet their deductible and here's the bill, you know, six months later. Well, one of my goals of this podcast is to educate and empower consumers that they do have choices. So it's important that they don't just trust that, you know, this doctor is in network for their insurance, that they do their own research. Because many times, just like you were talking about the credentialing, just because a doctor is in network doesn't mean they're the best doctor, doesn't mean that, that they're the best price, doesn't mean they're the best service, doesn't mean they're the best quality. So it's important for us as healthcare providers to educate and empower consumers that they should be charged of the, in charge of their own health, and that includes financially. Correct. Yeah, so many times I've lost patients because of the frustrations they've had with their insurance, that it was unclear to them that I was out of network or they didn't have a deductible met. You know, none of this really provides better care. It just increases frustrations for both patients and doctors. A patient doesn't get, they don't get better at the end of the day. That's correct. I think sometimes that's, that's what the, the system perpetuates. So thank you for getting out of the system and making sure there's nothing between you and the patient. So thank you, Dr. T for doing that. I, I enjoy it. I think patients appreciate their care so much more when it's clear to them what they're paying for and what they're getting out of it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So now let's talk about some of the cool stuff you alluded to early on in our uh, podcast. Um, you talked about you did a residency on venous stasis and treating venous stasis. I, I know it's a big <laughs> problem with diabetic, with diabetic oh. ulcers and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that? So what do you do? So and what is that? Okay, podiatry training is the, the lower extremity. Residency training was surgical training in all aspects of the foot and ankle. 
I moved on to fellowship training where I specialize in preventing amputations in diabetics by providing advanced wound care where they can heal a little bit faster than they would normally on their own, or I'm addressing maybe a deformity that created an ulcer, um, for example. So the work that I do, it, it, it aims to prevent major amputation so that they can remain independent and mobile. That in itself is something I deeply enjoy. I love educating about, you know, you shouldn't be using this product, for example, over-the-counter product because that was the source of your problem. That's what created your ulcer. Uh, or, you know, it's because of this deformity that you have. You have a hammer toe that, that is rubbing against your shoe. And so now we have to address the underlying cause of these wounds. So those are the things I really enjoy. It's preventive care that saves them a lifetime, lifetime of angst and wound care. I started transitioning away from wound care specifically because I was able to solve a lot of the deformity problems with minimally invasive surgery. I was doing a lot of bedside uh, tendon releases that released the hammer toe contractures, which solved their wound healing immediately. So that was kind of where minimally invasive surgery came about. I was kind of already doing it, but I didn't have a label. I, I was just solving a problem that I saw was easily solved with the procedure. And so within the last year and a half, I've been solely focused on office-based procedures for all of the reasons we just talked about, not having insurance interference. I can give a cash price without feeling that I violated a, another contract. Some insurance contracts limit what you can charge patients who are paying cash. And I just find that ridiculous. If, patient, if patients want to pay, why should we limit our prices based on a, another contract that has nothing to do with a patient-doctor relationship? So now I'm able to freely post my price or list my prices and patients can decide if it's for them or not. That That's awesome, Dr. T. And I think with insurance contracts, I can't remember the fancy name they have for it, but they will basically um, put a gag order on doctors and pharmacists that they can't even discuss what a cash price is for some kind of procedure. And that alone in an insurance contract, that alone should be a big red flag to doctors and patients alike that there's a reason they're trying to hide behind Hind something. Right. There, there's a lack of transparency. That alone should be a red flag that insurance is not necessarily out for um, the patient's best, uh, um, doesn't have the patient's best health in mind. Correct. Yeah. Even for me, when I, you know, as I transitioned into a cash based model, I wanted to be able to have resources like you, like a pharmacy, who can just give me a price. Like I wanted to provide this particular injection for a patient. And I called multiple pharmacies asking, you know, what's the cash price on this? And they they literally says, say to me, I can't give that to you because I don't have it. You have to run it through the insurance. So why is it such a hidden fee? Why is it not just $500? Why does it have to go through various barriers in order to get me what my patients need? I know it really should be that simple. And I am, so at our pharmacy, at Moe's Lake Professional Pharmacy, we, we don't bill any insurance. So we're very transparent and we can quote our prices really easily with patients. Um, now we are a specialty type pharmacy where we do, you know, mostly compounding. Um, but there are pharmacies now that are opening up. In fact, I'm interviewing a guy in a couple of weeks out of Ohio, Pickney Pharmacy. He's a cash only pharmacy and all he does is cash prescriptions. And he was frustrated like 
like you say, with, with um, you know, not being able to tell a person a, a, a patient a cash price. I mean, and that that's just ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. We wouldn't we wouldn't accept that in, in a hotel or when we're buying a car or when we're paying for for dinner. We wouldn't accept that. So why should we accept it with our healthcare? Absolutely, I completely agree, and I'm glad to hear there are more cash pharmacies because that was a huge barrier for me. I couldn't even get the injection that I needed for my patient without the middleman, the insurances. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. We are actually in the process of making a video on what if hotels build like hospitals. And it's basically, you know, imagine if you checked into a hotel and they didn't know what the price was going to be. Mm -hmm. And and imagine like you were talking about your pediatrician sending you a bill nine months later. We wouldn't accept that at a hotel. Right. Why should we accept it with healthcare? So stay tuned for a video that we're making um, that has a little bit of a little bit of a lot of truth and a little bit of sarcasm in it, <laughs> you know, because uh, I really want to get the message out there that. You know, patients should be in charge of their own health, and that includes financially. And that's the only thing that's going to fix it. It has to come from the from from the bottom up, from grassroots up. It's not mm -hmm. going to come from the top. We cannot look at government to solve this problem. We as healthcare providers have to work with patients to solve the problem. And and what you are doing, Dr. T, is a perfect example of that. So, what are some other cool things that you do um, in office? Other cool procedures? I think. That's the coolest thing. <laughs> Fixing toe deformity with a three millimeter incision. So traditionally we would fix this with a four to six centimeter incision. It's done either in the hospital or surgery center. So can you imagine the cost involved in a hospital setting, all the services that's needed, all the staff that's needed to arrange this orchestra, orchestrate this uh, symphony. And you don't know the price of each value that they're adding. You don't know the cost of the, the facility fees. You don't know the cost for the, the staff that's involved. You don't know the cost of the, the hardware that you know you would need to use. Sometimes we use um, pins or screws or implants. Even we don't know the cost for that as a surgeon. You know, we have to go through the value the value-based program where they they determine if the product that we want to use is going to even pay based on our surgery CPT code. That is like a whole course on its own. Like nobody wants to learn that. I want to learn how I can best deliver care to my patient. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, that's what I said. We haven't at our pharmacy, we haven't built insurance since 2002. So we are definitely pioneers in this area. And, and that's what I, that's what I told people and patients and other pharmacists and colleagues is that I didn't go to pharmacy school to be an insurance broker. I went to pharmacy school to take care of patients. <laughs> And, yes. and, you know, I, and I am so glad that I am liberated from that system and so glad that I am seeing many doctors like yourself follow that model. So mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit when it comes to the hammer toe, because you do the hammer toe surgery in office, correct? Yeah. Without and hardware, without anesthesia, without I, ridiculous fees. <laughs> right. I mean, so from what I understand about hammer toe, and I'm just a pharmacist, not a podiatrist, but... I thought the old surgery method was, like you say, in a hospital, and I don't know if they had to break the toe or break the bone or something, but it was a pretty serious thing. My guess is, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, my guess is it was going to be, it's over $10,000 to get that done in a hospital, correct? You know? Probably. I've never seen the bill, fortunately. Right, right. <laughs> but you know that $10,000 doesn't come to us. 
we're getting like $500 out right. of the cut or something for, you know, a decade's worth of training. Like that's just ridiculous. That to get my eyelash extension is like $400 and that training is like two weeks. So right. <laughs> I don't know if you'd understand the eyelash thing, but you know, it's like, it's a service that has huge complications. So just because we fix their problem doesn't mean they're healed. We have to still manage them post-operatively for however long it takes for them to heal. And for me, I follow my patients for a year. You know, the insurance gives you like a, a 90 day global period. Like who even made that number up? So within the 90 day global period, you have to, you have to do your, you have to do everything for free, basically, that's related to the surgery. Whereas when I was able to pull out into a cash model, it's an all-inclusive fee. You pay this one flat fee, and I'm there for you for the rest of the year or until you heal. Which which one would you prefer? You know, yeah, are I, you going to pick for dollars or do you just <laughs> want the damn package deal and call it a day? <laughs> right. No doubt. I mean, that's transparent. And can you tell me what that – it might be different for every patient, but can you tell me what that – average would run for a hammer toe surgery in office? I start my hammer toe surgeries at $2,000. So it's a little bit complex depending on multiple factors of the patient. It's mostly anatomy based. And it depends on which toe because the second toe has the most complication rates compared to the rest of the toe. So I always keep it really simple. If it's just one toe, I start you at 2000 and it really depends on how much correction I can get with you on the table. That includes local anesthesia, any prescriptions you may need. Most people don't even take pain medication. They're taking Tylenol and Advil together. They're awake in my office. They're already comfortable in my office. They know all two of my staff. So the comfort level is there for them. I see them until I feel that they are completely healed. And they're usually healed by four to six weeks, but I follow them for a year because Hammer toes are not just hammer toes. Your body changes with time. It can redeform. It can, you know, new things can come up. So that's why I created a package. So we don't have to think twice about what if this and that. It's all there for you. You don't think about it. So $2,000 for a year's worth of care. I feel like that's kind of an easy buy. You just kind of do it that way. And both people are happy. The doctor gets paid. The patient gets what they want. Done deal. Better service, better price, better quality than going into a hospital. I mean, I can't imagine how complicated and, and, and how the, the comparison of going into a hospital for that same surgery, um, it, it would be, you can't even compare um, on all those three levels, yeah. quality, price, price, and yeah, service. Yeah, so you're not just doing the surgery. So let's say there's the complication with internal fixation with the, poop, the pins or screws. You take them back to the OR for a clean out. There goes another set of fees. Now we have to remove stuff. Now we have to orchestrate more things in order for this, you know, care to be given. So I've pretty much eliminated all the potential complications involved in open surgery with minimally invasive surgery. So everything is done in-house. I, ha I have yet to have issues that required hospitalization, knock on wood, but you know, the potential is always there, so it's nice to have the access, but 90% of my thing, my stuff come, comes in the office. I love it. You're helping deliver free market medicine to patients so they can get the best quality at the best price and the best service. I love it, Dr. T. So as we're winding this podcast up, Dr. T, so what 
do you have a passion for? What drives you? I think you've made it pretty clear over the last half hour, but go ahead and tell us. <laughs> I love giving patients a better solution. I'm never okay with this is just how we've always done it. Just like this is how we've always been paid by insurances. This is how we've always fixed toes with screws and pins. I've just always known that there was something better because with surgery, there's always a complication. So how do we minimize those complications? And I think this is the way. This, the small incision surgery has been around for a long, long time and it's getting perfected as the years go on. And I think it's even better now that we can be transparent with patients that we don't have to fuss with all these intermediaries in order to get you the best care. So I'm deeply passionate about helping other doctors do what I do, create a cash-based practice so that they can love their the way they practice medicine and give them the best care. So if I'm doing it, it can work for anyone, I swear. I'm not the smartest, I'm not the smartest in my class, let me tell you, but I'm very dedicated into sharing with what I have to other people so that they can give better care to their patients as well. I love it, Dr. T. So how do people get a hold of you? They want to get a hold of you. How do they get a hold of you? The easiest way you can find me on my website, a31feet.com. That's my website here. Oh, you've got it. Yep. Our producer's awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. (laughs) Yes. You can call us. You can email. You can even text at that number. I'm accessible all over social media. Facebook, Instagram is my home base. And and last question: Do you do do you do phone consultations? I do phone consultations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on, and you definitely have achieved our goal of this podcast: is educating and empowering consumers to be in charge of their own health and how important their feet are. So don't forget about it. And maybe we can have you on again. And we can specifically talk about selecting a good shoe. Would I bet you could do that, huh? I have some great shoes. Number one, Bionic, V-I-O-N-I-C. That's one that I'm wearing right now. Every single one. Yeah, let's do it next time. All right. And thank you for being on, Dr. T. As always, uh, you can tune in uh, usually every Monday, 1230 to 1 uh, Pacific Standard Time. And Thursday, we are going to have two different podcasts, actually. Um, We had a guest rescheduled. She's going to be talking about treatment of COVID with ivermectin. And we are going to have Dr. Ross Carter back on. He's going to talk about the importance of sleep. We've had him on a couple times. And sleep, as we've talked about, is more important than eating. Because remember, we'll die without sleep before we'll die without food. So um, you do not want to miss that. That is, what is it? 7.30 Thursday? 7 what? 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock, respectively. So tune into that uh, Thursday. And Dr. T, thank you again for being on our show. I appreciate what you do, Sean. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, Tune in Thursday morning. Thank you so much.